If you're looking to improve your financial health but aren't sure where to start, then today's episode is exactly what you need. In it, we give you an overview of the plan that you need to do to make better financial decisions. We help you to maximize your income, minimize unnecessary expenditure, build a moat to protect you and your family, repay your debts, grow your wealth, and how to get good advice for the right price. It's a longer episode today, but it really does cover everything that you need to know to get started to improve your finances. So let's jump straight in. Welcome to the Medics Money Podcast. My name is Dr. Tommy Perkins and I'm a GP. And my name is Dr. Ed Cantelo, a GP, but also a chartered accountant and a chartered tax advisor. And yes, you did hear that right. Not only is Ed a doctor, he's also a chartered accountant and a tax advisor. Medics Money empowers doctors and other professionals like you to make better financial decisions. So today on the Medics Money podcast, I'm delighted to be joined by Guy Roper, who's a chartered financial planner who specialises in helping uh, doctors with their finances. Good morning, Guy. Hello, Tommy. Hello, everyone. Uh, thanks so much for coming on uh, today. Um, so, so a lot of doctors might not know, um, you know, what a financial advisor is and how can you uh, help doctors? So the way that I help my clients is by helping them make the most of their money so that they can meet their objectives. Um, so a financial advisor is someone, uh, a financial advisor should be someone who looks to understand his or her client's financial situation and then give them advice that helps them to live the life that they want to live. Um, and that can mean all sorts of different things. Um, and yeah, there are all sorts of approaches that one might take, uh, but that's it in a nutshell. Great. Um, and it's interesting that you said, you know, to help them live the life that they want to live. I mean, a lot of doctors, um, myself included at the start of, of our careers, we just do what we're trained to do. We just go to work, uh, we get the paychecks, we put it in the bank, we might not invest it, or we, we, we're not taught anything about financial planning at medical school. And that's a big part of what we do at medical, Medics Money is to educate doctors in the ways of finance so if a doctor came to see you um you know how would you help them specifically with what what things would you target yeah i think i think you make a really good point about uh, a lot of people not understanding how they should go about building a financial plan um, because it's not something that we're ever formally taught at, at school or in post education uh, post school education um, i think it's something that some people pick up along the way and and some people don't so um yeah it, it's something that a lot of uh, clients that I meet could do a lot better um, and achieve more as a result. Um, so the, the starting point for building a financial plan is to really understand your current financial situation. So it's looking to understand your income uh, and your expenditure um, and then understanding the goals that you're heading towards and uh, yeah, build, building a structured plan from there. Um, so shall I, shall I start by talking about the, the kind of the basic foundations for such a plan? Absolutely. That would be really helpful. Cool. So first thing is, um, I've spoken about income and expenditure. And one of the first principles of financial planning is that income should exceed expenditure. Now, when I when I mention that in presentations, it usually gets a bit of a chuckle, but um, obviously it's pretty fundamental. And there are ways in which you can go about making sure that that's the case. So you know, doctors generally will receive a good level of income. It's a level of income that uh, builds over the course of your careers. Um, and yeah, it's, it's generally, compared to the, you know, the wider world, a pretty decent income. Uh, that doesn't mean, though, that there can't be issues. So it's very important to understand as a doctor that you're being paid correctly. 
Um, it's important to make sure that uh, the work that you're doing is being properly rewarded. And that you know, sometimes I will come across clients who um, are on an incorrect pay scale, um, who aren't being paid correctly for the work that they do. Um, I believe that the British Medical Association have a contract checking service, which uh, for those people, um, hospital doctors in particular, that can be worth making use of if you're a member. Um, it's really important to make sure that your tax code is correct. Um, so the tax code appears on uh, the doctor's pay slips, but many doctors don't understand it, which is quite understandable. Um, it's important to make sure that that's correct. And it's also really important to make sure that you are claiming tax relief on the various things that doctors can claim tax relief for. Um, I know that you guys at Medics Money have put together some really good guides on that. So uh, that's a, a really good starting point. Absolutely. I think, you know, those fundamentals, uh, it's easy to underestimate, uh, you know, how many doctors are just not aware of what tax code they're on. That is absolutely fundamental or they haven't claimed tax rebates. And the reason why is because it is confusing and difficult. But we have our free guides downloaded by over 11,000 doctors now. Um, so definitely worth checking out those resources on our website to take care of the very, very basics, you know, uh, of just making sure you're being paid the right amount and not paying too much tax, um, which is a, a big problem. Um, but you know, so we've done we've done the basics, um, and uh, we've used Medics Money resources to make sure that all that's present and correct. I mean, where would you take it next in a sort of building a financial plan? So that's the income side of things. Um, uh, once the income side of things is sorted out, and, and I should say, just to reiterate your point, you know, the, the difference in having a good plan versus a bad plan for, for you know, understanding your income and your tax position could be more than £100 a month. I mean, it's a lot of money. It's quite significant. Um, once income is sorted out, then we need to focus on expenditure. And I will ask every client that I go to meet to prepare details of what it is that they spend money on. Um, it's really interesting, actually. I get to look at all sorts of people's spending patterns, which is fascinating. Um, but it's really important for everyone to list their essential expenditure. So your rent or your mortgage, uh, your council tax, your utility bills, uh, your food bill, those things aren't really optional or flexible. Um, but it's really important to understand what you're doing to spend money on those, what, what, what amount you're spending each month. Um, and then on top of that, list your discretionary spending. So list the things that you spend money on that you don't have to, but they're the things that, that you enjoy um, so that you know what it is that you're spending uh, over and above your essential spend expenditure. Um, and that's really important when it comes to goal setting, which we'll come back to in just a second. Um, but yeah, if you understand your income and you understand your expenditure, then that's a really good uh, foundation for the future. Um, and I should say, when we're talking about discretionary spending, you know, I ask everyone to compare de uh, prepare details of what they spend money on. That doesn't mean I don't think you should enjoy your money. It it's fine to have weekends away. It's fine to spend money on sporting activities, <clears throat> dinner out or whatever that may be. But make sure you understand what you're spending. Make sure it's part of a plan. Absolutely. And I think, uh, you know, it sounds such a simple exercise, but if you do that properly, you know, you can save yourself thousands and thousands. And, and what is the point of saving all that money? Well, we'll probably get to that later, but it allows you to build up extra capital or cash that then you can invest. And if once you start investing, your money is working for you. So doctors are very good at if we need more money, we do more locum shifts. So we just work mm -hmm. harder because that's what we've been ingrained in our brains to do. Just work mm -hmm. harder. But that's a recipe for burnout, which is a big problem. If you can build up cash and capital uh, over many, many years and compound that, um, you know, using the miracle of compounding, then you can build a, yourself up, you know, start to work towards financial freedom. And that, that could mean that you could retire early, you could send the kids to private school or whatever. And just doing these absolute fundamentals that you've talked about is um, 
incredibly important. Okay, so we've kind of maximized our income uh, using the tips and tricks that we talked about, and we've uh, looked at our expenditure, and maybe we've had a few surprises about how much we spend uh, every day on coffee, uh, a very mediocre coffee, no doubt, in the hospital canteen. Um, so where would you take it next if a doctor came to you to build a financial plan? Uh, well, the next foundation in finan for financial planning is to have a suitable emergency fund in place. Now, this is something I've been talking about for my entire financial services career, but it's only recently that it's really come into the minds of everyone with what we've just gone through with COVID-19 and with lockdown, um, because having a suitable emergency fund in place means that short-term shocks aren't the worry that they would otherwise be. Now, I know that most doctors' incomes haven't really been affected by what's happened at the moment, but those who are heavily reliant on locum work, it has been. Um, and indeed, some might uh, be married or in relationships with people who aren't doctors who have been affected by what's happened with you know, businesses and, and uh, perhaps been furloughed, seen a reduction in their income, perhaps even been made redundant. Having a suitable emergency fund in place is absolutely crucial because it means that you're not worried uh, when something happens that's completely unexpected. And I think a suitable emergency fund should be at least three months worth of expenditure. Six is better. Um, so once you understand your expenditure, if you can have a, an emergency fund that's at least three months worth of that, that's a good place to be. Absolutely. And I mean, you know, historically, doctors have benefited from stable income. But just using my own personal example, and, and I know there's lots of others that you mentioned, locum doctors. So I do some GP work as a partner, but I also do some uh, dermatology work via a private company. And that has completely stopped, you know, completely shut down. Um, yeah. And it's on a, effectively a zero hours contract. So no work, no money. So if I didn't have a, you know, an emergency fund, as my financial advisor advised me to do, uh, and at the time I thought, you know, I'm a doctor, I'm never going to lose my job or need the emergency fund. But if I didn't have that right right now, uh, then I would be feeling the squeeze a bit. And I know that there's colleagues who are locums or do pure private practice who are really feeling the pinch because, you know, the work has just shut down. So even for doc, even doctors need an emergency fund. That has been my learning point from this sort of difficult Absolutely. time that we've had financially and um i say when my financial advisor advised me to get a, an emergency fund i was thinking really do i need one but now that i've got one uh, i've really appreciated it uh, Absolutely, for the last few yeah. months yeah. So. And the point i would make is that when when the crisis is happening it's too late to plan um so you need to have an emergency fund in place before the emergency happens um and yeah at least three months worth of expenditure is good practice yeah um, absolutely once you've got the emergency fund in place, then you then need to think about what your goals are. So you know, there's no point in setting goals if, you're, if your income expenditure and emergency fund aren't sorted because you, you won't be able to realize them. But once you've got those foundations in place, then think about what are your objectives? You know, is it things like buying a house? Is it getting married? Is it paying for a wedding? Is it, is it school fees? Is it um, you know, future children's university costs? Is it anything that it might be? Work out what your goals are, and then you can work out how best to plan towards them. Um, and that's when you come back to your discretionary spending. So I said there was nothing wrong with, uh, you know, enjoying weekends away or you know dinner out or buying lunch in the hospital if, if that's what you want to do. But once you know what your goals are, you can then work out how your discretionary spending is affecting you working towards them. So you know, if you, if you compare the goal that you've got your your mind on, the the dream house, and you need to save a deposit of however many thousand pounds in order to buy it. Well, working towards that deposit is really important, really inspiring. Um, and when you compare that against the cost of the, the money that you're wasting every day, every week, um, then suddenly that puts a different perspective on things. 
So everyone will make their own spending decisions. You know, life is for living and, and doctors earn well and they should make their own decisions on how to spend their money. But they should do it in a considered way, work out what their goals are, work out the best way of working towards them. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I'm glad that you said that because a lot of uh, uh, sort of books and advisors can be quite dictatorial and judgmental, you know, saying you cannot spend money on coffee at the station every day. Look, if you want to buy a coffee at the station every day, I'm happy for you to do that. Um, but what I want you to understand is what that costs you, not only in terms of the cash every day, but the, the opportunity costs. So uh, someone contacted Medics Money recently and they'd used some of the free resources on our, our site. Um, and they were spending, so they were, they were ST7 and uh, they were really busy. Um, and so they'd started to buy lunch at the hospital every day. And before they knew it, they were spending £200 a month on the hospital lunch. And the hospital lunches are mediocre, let me assure you. So, so what they did is they trimmed their spend by £166 a month. And so what I said to them is, okay, that's great. Um, so that £166 uh, every month for the next 30 years of your career, if you put that in the bank, you get about £59,000, okay? That's, that's a lot of money. But if you were to invest that money uh, and you could compound it at 5%, which historically is a, you know, a, a realistic return, uh, then at the end of your 30 years, you wouldn't have £59,000. You would have nearly £140,000. Uh, and they were quite surprised by that because you know, that is the cost of having a coffee every day. So you, know, you need to factor this into your goals and, and be aware that you know, small changes, but over a long period of time, uh, can really start to add up. Yeah, yeah, and that brings us on to, to whether your goals are short-term goals, medium-term goals, or long-term goals. Um, because I will often work with doctors um, who are looking to save up for their first house, for example. Um, I was talking to one quite recently who's looking to buy a house in the next year or two. Well, if you're looking to buy a house in the next year or two, then the savings that you make should be in cash. Um, you should be just building up money in a savings account. Get the best savings account that you can um, with the best interest rate that you can. Um, but because you need the money in the short term, it's not appropriate to invest it in something that could fluctuate in value, that, that might you might see a fall in value of your investment. Um, so that you know, short-term goals are generally best met through saving cash. Um, but medium and long-term goals are often best met by making use of something other than cash. So you're absolutely right. Investing it in a way that's right for you, but has good potential for growth, um, can deliver really much, much better returns. Um, you know, the, the key thing we're talking about here is inflation. So inflation is something that's not widely understood, but inflation is effectively the, the rate at which the purchasing power of your money falls each year. Um, so you'll know that you know, the amount that you can buy with £20 is quite a lot less than it was 10 years ago. Um, you know, I remember when I was uh, going out as a, a student and I could spend £30 in a nice house and that was quite comfortable. And these days, £30 wouldn't get you a, a taxi into the centre of town and the uh, first round of drinks. So you know, using that as an example, in, inflation, inflation reduces the value of what it is that you're spending money on. Um, and of reducing the value of the money that you have to spend on, rather. Um, and in order to maintain the value of your money, you need to invest it in such a way as it can grow in excess of inflation over the medium to long term. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that is an absolute fundamental point. You know, if you think that, uh, you know, saving that money and just putting it in the bank um, is a solid long term strategy, I think the one the one reason that it is not is inflation, and the second reason is that interest rates on savings at the moment are absolutely pitiful. 
Um, mm. So that money is actually, if you leave your money in cash long term, its value is likely to be eroded. Um, so um, we talked a bit about the emergency fund uh, and getting the absolute fundamentals um, sort of locked in. Um, so one thing that we didn't talk about is uh, income protection and protecting your what is your most valuable asset as a doctor, which is your future income earning potential. So yes. do, do you want to just tell us a bit about that, Guy? Yeah, this is something that, that I talk about a lot with clients, but it's something that, again, you need to be considered about. It needs to be part of a, a structured process. So, I mean, all doctors will be familiar with the salespeople who come to visit them sometimes at lunchtime, um, and they'll stand up in front of a room full of doctors and say, you all need income protection or you all need life insurance. Um, and I think that that's, that that's nonsense, really. That, that's quite a, a dangerous approach to take. When you decide to protect uh, some aspect of your finances, it should be done because you've really considered what the significance of that is, what the area of need is. Um, so thinking about income protection, first of all, you know, doctors enjoy a good level of income, um, but clearly if something was to happen to prevent you from working for that income, some, some health issues, you're diagnosed with something nasty or some serious accident, um, then ultimately that income could stop. Um, and at that point, all of your life's goals would be jeopardized. All the things that you're working towards, whatever your vision of your future is, um, something could happen to change that. So income protection is a way of making sure that your income is protected in the event that you're unable to work it, uh, work for it. Now, the way to approach thinking about whether you need income protection is to think about what your, so if you think about what your expenditure is, um, and then what your future goals are, and what would be the impact of being unable to work moving forward. Um, so understand what sick pay entitlement do you have. And if you were off work, what element of sick pay would you have? NHS standard sick pay terms are really quite generous. Um, but they do run out after a period of time, uh, up to uh, potentially beyond a year, perhaps sometimes slightly less for, for newer doctors, you can end up having no income at all. Um, for GPs, GP partners, sick pay terms can be a little bit different, so it's important to understand what, what yours are. Um, for locum doctors, of course, often there's no sick pay, so that can mean that actually if something were to prevent a locum doctor from working, then they might have no income very quickly, and that's something that needs to be thought about differently. Um, so once you understand what your uh, position is with regards to sick pay, with regards to the savings that you have, you then need to work out the extent to which you need to protect your income. You need to work out how long it needs to be protected for, what it needs to provide, and make sure that if you need to put something in place, you put something in place that's suitable, that's considered, um, rather than just you know, buying what the salesman sells you. Absolutely. So, you know, you've touched on some absolute fundamental points, which are essential for all doctors to understand, really, is that how the financial services industry works and uh, you mentioned those free lunchtime talks which doctors uh, get exposed to um, at, at medical school and throughout our careers to be honest which are often given by poorly qualified salesmen who are actually incentivized to sell you products okay so um i mean i recently wrote a blog post about why I took out income protection insurance and actually i think not taking it out sooner was one of the biggest financial mistakes that I made and every every you know all too regularly we're contacted by doctors at Medics Money who are looking to get income protection insurance and unfortunately they've already got an illness uh, which makes insurance either unaffordable or or you know not even possible um, but you know what we need to understand is that why is Medics Money the best place to buy income protection insurance particularly and I think the reason that it boils down to is, and this is essential for all doctors to understand, is the difference between independent and restricted uh, financial advisors. So 
That is yeah. a can of worms, and I'm going to pass that can of worms over to you guys <laughs> to give us a quick overview. Because if you don't understand this distinction, it's absolutely fundamental. Because what if you're a doctor, you need to work out, are you dealing with a salesman, or are you dealing with someone who's going to take a holistic view of your overall your finances and work in your best interests? And absolutely. medics money, uh, if you use medics money, uh, you will receive... Um, you know, the very best advice, but, but why? So tell us a bit about that can of worms. Yeah, so you're absolutely right that the financial advisors are essentially divided into two camps, independent advisors and restricted advisors. Um, and restricted advisors that are quite common in the, 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 the medical advice field. Lots of the big names that are associated with advice for doctors are offering restricted advice. Um, but restricted advice is not as good. Uh, a restricted advisor has a limited range of options that he or she can sell you. Um, and, and that is the right word, really. Um, so if you speak to a restricted advisor, then they will have you know, a small number of options and they will tell you that what you need is one of these solutions that they can advise you on. They can't advise you on anything else. So you will never know whether what they're selling you is actually the best out there in the marketplace or whether it's just the best that they've got available from their limited suite of options. Um, and a restricted advisor, that, that's all that they do. They advise on a small number of things um, and yeah, don't, don't deal with anything else. Um, by contrast, an independent advisor can advise on absolutely anything in the entire marketplace. So an independent advisor like myself uh, will speak to a client about their situation, their objectives, their, uh, their needs and that sort of thing. And then we'll pick the very best product or solution from the entire marketplace. Um, and sometimes the best product or solution isn't actually a product at all. Sometimes it can be just managing your finances a little bit differently, uh, making some tweaks to the way that you run your money. But if a product is needed, uh, then an independent advisor like myself can source any product from the entire marketplace. So you know that what you're getting is the very best out there, as opposed to just the best from a, a very small number of options. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the big reasons we started Medics Money was to connect our colleagues, uh, doctors, with the very best advisors out there. So uh, Medics Money only recommends independent financial advisors who specialize in doctors. Uh, and and it's interesting that you mentioned that the biggest names in in advising doctors are restricted advisors. I mean, um, our legal team is pretty small, so we're not going to mention any names. But you know, it, you know, how can you tell um, if if you're a doctor and an advisor approaches you? Um, the easy way to get the, an independent financial advisor who specialises in doctor is to come to Medics Money because they're all independent. But if someone approaches you, how how can you tell? Because they often deliberately don't make it clear. Yeah, absolutely. If you, if you ask an advisor whether they're independent or not, then you'll get one of two answers. They'll either say yes, or they'll say, well, it doesn't really matter because we've got all of these options and solutions. And yes, yeah, so you don't need to worry about that sort of thing. You know, we're, we're kind of independent-ish. Um, and it's nonsense, of course, that you're either independent or you're not. Um, so you should ask the question as to whether your advisor is independent. And if they can't say yes, be very skeptical as to whatever it is that they do say. Um, the final thing, or the other thing I would say on that is, I mentioned that some of the big names dealing with medical advice are, are restricted uh, restricted advisors. Um, if you've previously spoken to those advisors, if you've taken out products with them, then it is a really good idea to review with an independent advisor whether those products are actually the, the most suitable options for your needs. Um, I, I will quite often speak to, to doctors who have previously worked with a restricted advisor and who come to me and say, well, this is what I've got. And I will say, OK, so if you look at the entire marketplace, um, then you can have something that costs less, that provides more cover, that has extra features and benefits. It, it's really unusual not to be able to improve upon something. 
Um, so yes, if, you, if you've previously worked with a restricted advisor, then it's not too late. Uh, come and talk to an independent one instead. Uh, absolutely. And on Medics Money, you know, we have a case study of two doctors who uh, got restricted financial advice when they were at medical school, and then they approached a Medics Money independent financial advisor just for a requote, and they actually managed to increase the amount of cover that they had uh, for a significant saving, £10,000 they saved between the two of them. Uh, so we're not talking about trivial amounts of money here. The distinction between independent and restricted is absolutely massive. Uh, and it's kind of the field is pitched against doctors uh, because the biggest names in the industry are restricted. So just have a think about, is your advisor working in your best interests, um, selling you or giving you the very best advice, uh, or are they a salesman selling the limited range of products that they have um, to offer? All right, we better move on to that uh, because that's a you know it's a massive subject that we could get really bogged down in. So uh, we talked a bit about how to get protection. So um, our financial plans, you know, taking shape now. Uh, what would be the next uh, part that you would suggest looking at? Well, we touched earlier on long-term planning, um, and there's no better example of long-term planning than the NHS pension scheme. Um, all doctors, or almost all doctors, will be in the NHS pension scheme. But the first thing to say with regards to that is that the NHS pension scheme is really good, and uh, it is very, very unusual for someone, for a doctor, not to be best advised to be within it. Um, almost every doctor should be in the NHS pension scheme. So if you've ever opted out of it, then I recommend you review that decision um, and make it in conjunction with an experienced independent financial advisor specializing in medical advice um, to make sure whether the pension scheme is uh, is right for you. I'll reiterate, almost all doctors should be in the pension scheme. It is really good. It's an excellent benefit. Um, now, assuming you are in the pension scheme, then you need to make sure that you're getting the most out of it. And that means understanding the benefits that you're building up. Now, I recommend to all of my clients that they get hold of a total reward statement each and every year. And a total reward statement shows the NHS pension benefits that you've built up so far over the course of your career. Um, so you can understand what it is you have and make sure that all of your service has been counted correctly. Now, I know that at the start of doctors' careers, they have a variety of, of, of roles, portfolio um, a career where they're spending different times in different hospitals on rotation doing different jobs and it is quite common to speak to doctors where some aspect of their service hasn't been recorded properly they haven't got enough pension um, now that mistake left uncorrected could potentially cost someone thousands of pounds in retirement um, so it's really important to make sure that you understand the pension that you built up so far that it's correct and that you keep on top of it um, an advisor like myself can help someone understand the pension that they've built up uh, make sure that it's correct, that everything's been recorded properly. Um, and then that should be reviewed uh, e each and every year, really, to make sure that you're getting the most out of the NHS pension scheme. Yeah, ab absolutely. I mean, I'm glad that you mentioned that the, the NHS pension has received some negative press recently. And for some doctors, the rates of taxation are extremely punitive. Um, and some of the medics money team have been affected by this themselves. But the vast majority of doctors are better off in it. If you have opted out without the advice of a specialist medical independent financial advisor, you need to get that advice because it could be a massive mistake. And the total reward statement, you, it's free. It's, you can register online. It's the simplest thing that you can do. And it's actually quite interesting piece of paper. You know, it tells you a hypothetical annuity cost and what you've paid in, what you've paid out. And uh, if you correct an error now, rather than at retirement, trying to find a payslip uh, from 30 years ago when you're pre-retirement to tell them that you weren't working part-time as an F1 uh, is going to be difficult. If you correct any errors now, and errors are very, very, very common, it's going to be super easy. 
Um, okay, so that's the pension. We've got a lot more pension-related content coming up on the podcast um, because it's a massive topic. So, uh, what else? Where, where else would you go with building a basic financial plan for a doctor? Well, I think once you've got those things in place, uh, then you can start to think about the most efficient way of working towards your goals. So we touched on this earlier, but kind of the, the medium and long term objectives. Um, and that's where investment advice starts to come in. Um, and that's really interesting. It's one of the things that I get most enthusiastic about um, because you're thinking about what, where to invest your money for the best potential for growth in a way that allows you to realize your objectives in the future. Um, you're thinking about the tax efficiency of investments, um, and there are many different investments with different tax treatments. You're thinking about what's important to you with investing. Uh, one of the things that I specialize in is ethical investments, uh, investments that are made in a, a responsible way, an environmentally sustainable way. Um, and that's something that's really come to the fore in the last few years. Um, it, it's, you know, it's, it's an enormous discussion piece. So perhaps we won't go into detail here and, and now, but it's, uh, it's really fascinating and um, can deliver results that are at least as good as traditional investments while being you know, better for everyone as well. So, uh, yeah, that's that's a really fun thing to be involved in. Um, and then it's about just helping doctors work towards those goals. Um, I like to talk about you know, anyone who talks to a doctor about a get rich quick scheme um, should be viewed on viewed with real suspicion because there's no such thing as a get rich quick scheme. Um, but I like to talk to doctors about getting rich slowly um, and getting rich slowly is about having a financial plan. It's about making the very best of your money, being as efficient as you possibly can. Um, and building things in a considered way um, so that you can yeah, get to where you want to be when you want to be there. Um, and that's, that's what I do. Uh, absolutely. So investing is a massive topic. We've got a lot more investing content on our blog and coming up on our podcast. Um, but I think for me, the fundamentals for of, of why invest, if you're a doctor like me, uh, and you just want to work full time until you retire at the age of 68, uh, for, it's currently 68. I'm sure it will be pushed forward. Um, you know, then that's fine. But if you don't want to stay on that track, then you're going to need somehow to get extra income from somewhere. And if you don't want to just work harder, doing more and more hours at, at the hospital uh, or in your GP practice, then investing may be a way to do that. Um, and I think a lot of people might underestimate uh, how difficult investing is or how to, where to even get started. And again, Medics Money website has some great resources there and can connect you with great advisors like Guy. Uh, and, and as you say, getting rich quick uh, is very, very difficult. But getting rich or wealthy slowly uh, with a well-thought-out plan over many, many years is not particularly difficult and uh, you know, well within the capability of all doctors to do uh, with, with the right advice. Um, so we'll definitely be talking more about investment. And um, I'm really interested in the ethical investing that Guy mentioned. Um, so if you're a doctor, you probably don't want to invest in a tobacco company, for example. So we'll talk about that on another um, episode. So, um, okay, so we've done the income expenditure, we've done the protection, built up a, a solid uh, emergency fund, and we've looked at our pension, make sure that's all okay. Uh, we thought a bit about investing and why we want to invest. Is there any other things that you would recommend or you would uh, t help doctors with? Yeah, final thing is to keep it under review. Um, and that's the work that I do with my clients on an ongoing basis. So um, when when, uh, when I sit down with clients, I will help them build the very best financial plan for what it is that they want to achieve. Uh, but many, many times these goals are many years into the future. And of course, things change. Circumstances change, uh, income changes, uh, life throws unexpected spanners into the work sometimes. Um, so yes, it's important to keep things under review. 
Um, I, I tend to meet with my clients at least annually, and we kind of uh, we look at what's happened over the last year. Uh, we look at uh, investment performance. We look at changes in uh, jobs and families, and uh, yeah, work out the best way to work or continue to work towards objectives. So don't build a brilliant plan and then leave it alone for twenty years. Build a brilliant plan and then keep it under under a watchful eye. Absolutely. And um, we talked about a few sort of pitfalls and difficulties along the way. Um, but is there any sort of um, big, big pitfalls uh, or difficulties that you uh, come up against with clients and how do you help them solve them? Um, so I think not keeping things under review is a big pitfall. Um, I will quite often meet clients who have had advice 10 years ago um, and I can it's quite funny when I when I look at the advice that they've been given, I can sometimes work out how many years ago it was given because of the the fact that it features things that were fashionable for the time, particular investment funds, particular investment styles, that sort of thing. Um, so I think not keeping it under review is a pitfall. Um, I think we we touched on the pension side of things, and then that needs to be watched over as well. Um, I think I guess you'd expect me to say so, but I think advisors who know what they're talking about can add real value to a strategy um, that perhaps doctors couldn't work out on their own. Um, you know, I will sometimes sit down with doctors who have been uh, ma- making their own investment decisions for years, um, who have been selecting their own financial products. And there are almost always ways in which I can suggest things that they perhaps could have done things differently that would have led to better effects. So a good advisor who knows what they're talking about can certainly add value in excess of the cost that they charge. I think that's the acid test and it's what you'd expect. Um, but I'm certain it's the case. Absolutely. Um, you know, I think the right advice for a fair price is is what we're aiming for with Medics Money. Um, a few things that I observe that my colleagues do, um, we can be a bit reactive with our financial planning. So perhaps we'll read an article on Medics Money and about income protection and think, oh my goodness, you know, I have kids. Uh, single income and I don't have protection so I might just get protection uh, and then a few years later uh, or oh, I might be worried about my pension so I get some pet- pensions advice you know it needs to be a holistic ongoing thing uh, not just you know uh, dealing with problems as they arrive if you put, get a good financial plan together you can avoid most of these problems to be honest but it has to be a holistic overall um, sort of strategy to guide you through. Um, okay, a great. Good, a good plan, Tommy, will mean that you don't need to to panic when, when unexpected things happen. So um, it, we, we spoke about the emergency fund and how it's too late to build one when, when the emergency is happening. Um, in, we've seen th- similar things recently with investments. So um, if, if you have a good investment strategy, if you know what your objectives are and you've selected the right investments for the journey, then what's happened recently with markets being a little bit uh, in turmoil with, um, with, with COVID-19 and all of the uncertainty around that, that isn't a worry if you've got the right strategy in place. Um, but if, if you don't, then that's when you can be caused to panic. Um, and often panic results in the worst possible outcomes. Um, panic is what causes people to sell investments when they've fallen in value and so they don't enjoy the appreciation of the recovery, um, for example. So yes, Build a plan so that you can you don't need to panic when unexpected things happen. Absolutely. And I think even as a doctor, if you're reasonably competent with managing your investments, you know, I really value my financial advisor's input because, you know, when you go through your first big bear market and this one that we've had recently may be, you know, people's first big bear market. You know, you look at the value of your portfolio sliding away each day. 
you know, it's easy to crumble and sell, but you know, your advisor, you've got a good plan. They've assessed your risk tolerance properly. They've bought, built the portfolio that you're happy with. So actually, you know, I didn't really check my portfolio at all during the massive downturn uh, because, you know, I'm in it for the long term. I have my plan and I review it annually with my advisor. So I don't need to worry. And for me, I'm busy enough being a doctor and a dad and all the other things that I like doing. I don't want to be sat on the stock market every single day. Um, and I don't need to because my investment plan is, is long term, well managed, well balanced and matches what I need. So yeah, I think that's a big win. Okay. Um, any final thoughts, Guy, uh, before we wrap up? Uh, no, but I'm looking forward to speaking to um, speaking to all the doctors listening. Um, yeah, uh, get in touch. Yeah, so the best way to contact Guy is uh, via Medics Money. You'll find him on there. Um, and um, yeah, we'll look forward to catching up with you again uh, in the near future. Fantastic. Thank you. Good to talk to you.